Welcome, citizens of the globe, to the Front End Heroes podcast, where we discuss all things villainous and heroic about the front end of software development. My name is Evan Payne. I'm a senior front end developer at Actimo, and with me as always is my co-host, Scott Francis, a senior front end engineer at Porsche. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Really looking forward to this. Um, yeah, little little break from everyday life where I'm currently like getting married and uh, buying a house and <laughs> wrestling with the challenges of a new job all in the space of like three months. So uh, pretty hectic schedule at the moment, but yeah, great to have time to do this. Yeah. Now it's great. Really excited for you on all those fronts. Um, yeah. I mean, we'll get little snippets as the time goes on in this show, I'm sure, but yeah, well done. Today's episode is sponsored by NetCentric, an award-winning Adobe Global Alliance partner and consultancy headquartered in Switzerland with offices all over Europe as well as Pune, India. They're currently hiring for a number of roles, so if you are looking, check them out. Uh, Scott and I vouch for them. We are, as ever, so glad to have their support with this show. Uh, this time around, we have a guest we'd like to uh, introduce you to. Uh, it is Stephanie Eccles, author of ModernCSS.dev, an egghead instructor and creator of StyleSage.dev. Stephanie, um, who are you and how'd you get into this crazy front-end world? <laughs> Hi, well, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I have been a professional web developer, mostly focused on front-end um, for just over 14 years now for the professional side. Did some, you know, MySpace before that. But <laughs> um, I actually started in web development because I was interested in art as a kid. And a series of events led me to go to a camp for Macromedia Flash animation. And that led to wanting to put my art, quote unquote, on the web. And that led to learning about table layout and taking a, now looking back at it, very critical uh, one-hour college credit class that finally got me to understand absolute positioning. And from there, just kind of grew. I was a WordPress developer for 10 years, so that was where I mostly got... Um, my experiences. I majored in advertising and worked in marketing departments for the majority of my career. Um, spent a couple years in product and now I'm back sort of kind of marketing, but not 100%, <laughs> not directly in the marketing department of what I'm doing, but supporting a marketing website. Nice. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I don't know. I feel like it was last year at some point uh, you came onto my radar at least um, through Twitter and all the things that happened there um, for just posting some real thoughtful articles and CSS and things. And um, I forgot to mention last time the episode title. We try to keep with our superhero motifs and last time was <laughs> a very bad, it was a slim link. This time is even more slim and the episode title will be The Danger Room, which references X-Men's holographic training chamber thing and it's a lame attempt to tie that into uh teaching and learning by like literally just diving into the madness that's the modern web um but yeah i want to talk a bit about that so one of your projects that's been going on for a while is modern css uh dev it's the website um but how did you start to put it that way and i mean maybe you can tell us a bit about what it actually is and and what you expect it to be as a resource for people yeah, awesome question. Um, so another part in my career history was that as I, I, I kind of had a four-year sort of hiatus just due to the fact of entering parenthood. <laughs> and, you know, during that time, um, I continued working, but I definitely felt like 
going from kind of really avidly being involved in in the web community, you know, um, to having way less time <laughs> to do that if it wasn't directly at my job. Um, you know, I myself was falling behind when I kind of emerged from the the cave of <laughs> new motherhood. <laughs> um, and so I also at that time was kind of in a career transition um, to the product team that I mentioned. And that was a new environment, um, particularly as the kind of sole person in, in charge of the front end, you know. And so – and I also was becoming more aware and involved with accessibility. And obviously, accessibility in front end is extremely closely linked. And so I just was kind of, you know, re-entering what is – what are the available resources right now? And – when I kind of got myself back into my regular Twitter network, um, I realized the conversation about CSS was still ongoing in terms of some of the negative things that it conjures for folks. And But meanwhile, CSS had done a ton of growing up. Um, and so, you know, we were finally at that point. So like you mentioned, it was a year ago when I kind of started to put these projects out here. But, you know, we finally can pretty safely use um, things like grid. You know, that was kind of what really got me thinking about. I was like, if people don't know grid exists, I am aware of all the hacks that they're currently doing to get around that um, when it could be simplified and more enjoyable, I think, too. So um, I I joke that modern CSS is going to be a term I'll have to figure out how to deal with in a decade. But for now, it's an accurate term because I'm really trying to speak to those folks who haven't given it a look in a while and are trying to see what is it capable of, how to upgrade their skills. And um, something else that has emerged alongside that is trying to highlight, not directly, but (laughs) as a subtopic, that maybe these tools that we're using aren't letting you use all the features of CSS to its fullest. So providing you with um, not just a tutorial, but, you know, the tutorial makes a actual outcome, but hopefully also passing along some other skills that you can just kind of generally add to your toolbox. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, it, like we said previously, we had someone else also CSS focused um, that we brought on the show and you would think we wouldn't have what to talk about, but Scott, (laughs) you and I were talking about this earlier. It is just exploding lately with things to, to know and learn about. To that, to that point as well, I think that, um, the the name modern CSS like that's not going to be a problem for you like it's just that's just going to roll and roll it's like grow. Yeah. yeah yeah it definitely is and I mean yeah sure look back on some posts like the, um, like four years old or something um, and it's going to be like well that isn't modern CSS but I mean it was at the time and the ones that you that you'll be pushing out then as well will definitely be I mean yeah exactly what Evan was saying at, um, it does feel like there's so, just so much new stuff at the moment and like always something new. Mm-hmm. Do you have any ways that you sort of keep on top of that? I mean, yeah, okay, you, you hear around the web that this thing or that thing is coming out. And we've talked about logical properties before, um, and certainly the hot topic is uh, container queries. But, you know, do you specifically like some people I know uh, troll the, the working groups and, and see what they're working on or review those sorts of things? I troll the working group people. <laughs> So, yeah, I think just curating who I follow on Twitter is my primary method. Um, I've also increased 
you know, subscribing to newsletters and various things over the last year. Um, and, and those, especially the kind of, um, yeah, the, the, the not directly working group people, but you know, the, the folks just kind of like myself are just interested and passionate about it. You know, that's, they surface a lot of cool stuff that people are doing. So, um, yeah, so newsletters and Twitter is the main way I <laughs> keep apprised. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. The same, same, the <laughs> same as I do. Um, I, I want to pivot a little bit into yes, we're learning all these things about new features, and I do want to talk a bit about some of the things that you're most excited for recently. Um, but I know many of us are still dealing with Internet Explorer 11, which holds us back uh, from the evergreens. Um, and full support for some of these features. But let's co- collectively imagine a scenario where we are suddenly released from that burden. <laughs> um, the last client hold out whatever drops support for that. And hey, now we don't have to worry about IE11. We can move on to the modern browser sets. Um, how, how do we then approach refactoring or progressively enhancing or, or getting to use these new features in a way that's not going to, you know, necessarily drastically <laughs> require a rewrite of the code base entirely. I mean, yeah, have great you? Question. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I think there's some small ways that, for me, again, just kind of given my history of being on different types of teams and products, um, to me, the the number one thing that jumps to mind is not literally CSS Grid, but upgrading Grid systems, um, for sure, is like maybe a ease in point to start in a code base um, because it's so impactful. Um, But you can, you know, especially when you're, but it's kind of a, you know, tumbling effect too, because you start there, but it affects probably every component that you have going on and consequently then every layout you have going on. So um, probably the most impactful um, one and the other one would be, you know, incorporating CSS custom properties. But there again, not every project needs them. They're a convenience. Um, so it's one that's exciting. It's one that I'm slowly incorporating into my own work, um, partially from a support standpoint, but also partially because I think it's an easy place to get a little unwieldy as well um, in organization. But the other thing that makes that a little tricky to answer is, um, you know, we're months away from that being hopefully a reality or starting to become a reality. But we're also months away from not just container queries, but some of these other things that are completely going to change how we manage CSS. So, you know, top, literally top to bottom. So um, I think we're on the cusp of everyone regardless of, you know, support. But if you're involved and sort of I mean, if you care about how your CSS is constructed and where it comes from, you know, we're all about to experience a huge shift in, in how we approach it in general. So a little tricky to answer right now, but <laughs> just because I'm excited and forward looking. <laughs> yeah, um, we, we can come to that uh, momentarily as well. I just want to um, ask you, Scott, as well. I mean, I'm not entirely clear. You're, you're working on some sort of greenfield stuff now, or are you also doing sort of older code base catch-ups? Um, no, I'm totally greenfield now. Yeah. Like, so yeah, I've left. So I've left <laughs> Internet Explorer behind. Huzzah! Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in the refactoring game, and that's fine. I'm I'm doing a lot of JavaScript right now, so the the CSS can wait for a little while anyway. But um, yeah, with you, what what have you been doing like CSS wise lately? That's you know felt made it feel new again. <laughs> You know what? 
honestly, the other day I did a um, I did a poll request, uh, did a uh, reviewed a, a request, um, and was actually able to tell somebody, "Have you considered using aspect ratio for this?" Nice. Like, uh, and I and I honestly I felt like a I felt like a boss. <laughs> I felt like a I felt like a CSS god. I was like, "Have you considered this?" And they were like, "No, I didn't know that this existed." I'm like, "Well, maybe we should use it." But the, the um, like. <laughs> But small things they make you happy yeah. in web development yeah. um but yeah that's that was something that um like sprung to mind um we also provided like um a fallback for this um because it isn't like 100 percent supported like across the browsers so we provided uh, a fallback for this um which kind of like increased the you know you could we could have stuck with the 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 padding solution um, and not included the fallback, but to me, it is better to it, it felt better to go with the the you know the aspect ratio and provide the fallback. You know we can we can easily take the fallback out, and we know why it's there, and we can search for these things like at a later date, just to do a you know every six months do a sweep of the of the code. Like, do we still need this? And I feel like that fallback is kind of like the a little marker that you can put in your code into your CSS for yourself and just go and tidy things up later on. Um, I just think it's nice to start using the things um, like if, especially because it, it starts embedding into like, this is now standard practice that like we'll actually just use this instead of the other solution. Um, that's, that's how I would try and keep things fresh. It mainly is like read about something. Okay. Let's give this a shot. Like, let's give it a shot straight away instead of before. I think I would have been inclined to think, oh, well, it's not supported everywhere. So it's too much hassle to put in. Now, my attitude is very much, let's get it in. Let's try using it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's a level of security that's come along with these changes. Um, again, we've touched on it before, but the way that CSS Grid got into like the browsers was very well thought through and efficient and ended up with. A pretty good end result and it has continued to be the case so there's a level of trust developing as it's not going to be like it was back in the day um, and yeah we're able to more use these solutions uh, more quickly um, so let's talk about the exciting like paradigm shifts that are coming um, what did you have in mind when you were saying that just then yeah, so container queries is the most tangible since it's actually got an experiment out. Um, but the other ones um, that are also being done by Miriam Suzanne are layers and scope. And I definitely haven't dove into those as much, um, but they both are going to impact literally how you even write your style sheet at all. So it's not just properties we're talking about, but it was actually you know, affecting the organization um, of things. and in different ways. But um, I think the other interesting thing about that, I was just thinking about it this morning, <laughs> was, um, you know, when we talk about CSS frameworks, and they kind of have a certain way that they're formed. But these new things like layers and scope are going to drastically alter that. Um, I think that's where we're going to see one of the biggest shifts is, do those make sense anymore? Or do you want to move off of them? Or you know, we'll obviously see new ones come out that can take advantage of these new things, but it's going to be very interesting. It's just going to be kind of mind bending for everyone for a while um, <laughs> when they're when they're available, um, which I think is exciting. I, I I'm loving watching everything move forward and 
see all the new stuff come out. But <laughs> so I, I mean, I can I can grasp from the titles what they are, but um, and and don't worry if it's if it's too new to talk about. But if you have some sort of idea of like what what would layers bring to the table, like what is this going to look like? Um, not look like I don't mean that because it's new. Um, but like what what what's problems it's trying to solve? Yeah. So. And again, I have a kind of very, very high level um, understanding at this point. Um, Miriam has two explainers on both of these. So you can definitely dive deep into in those for anybody interested. Um, But layers are in a way like to an extent, not this isn't 100% their purpose, but to an extent, they're sort of like imports and um, particularly in SaaS, sort of, kind of. So you can use them to bring in different parts of your style sheet and use them to modify the cascade itself. So they're actually, the full name's cascade layers. Um, and what's interesting about that, if, you, if we do kind of just for the moment, again, it's not a one-to-one, but kind of <laughs> think of it as SaaS imports, if that's familiar to you. Um, you know, you could bring in Bootstrap, or something, a framework, go ahead and bring it in, but using layers that would help you modify um, the cascade and specificity and overriding and and those sorts of things. So that's partially um, my current understanding of kind of what it's yeah. addressing um, is helping you better orchestrate the cascade and, and what parts are included. The interesting thing about that is you can also, um, or at least the current proposal is that kind of on a per page basis, you could modify the order of those layers coming in. So if you have your reset and different other bits, you know, maybe you don't need it the same or for have some reason to alter it, you know, per page, you can actually define that. Um, so just a very unique, um, interesting, interesting way that that's going to be working. Um, it does not have a experiment or anything right now. So very, very early, but definitely want to keep an eye out. Um, Working group, yeah. so. I, I, I really love how, especially in the front end, and I know this is true in other parts of tech world, and I'm, I'm just being super like biased to my own <laughs> areas, but it feels like we're constantly questioning the status quo here <laughs> and being like, yeah, this is, this has not always been a pleasant experience. What can we do to change that? You know, Mm -hmm. um, this is fine. Can we make it better? Just over and over and over again. And even, you know, like Houdini was the buzzword a few years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's still going and and has some really interesting applications, though I haven't seen much because I I never bothered to do uh, enable it or play around in Chrome Canary. But still, it's this idea of like, let's mess around with the paint API and like change how the browser is rendering everything. Let's have hexagons instead of like boxes and box model, that sort of stuff. I love that. I love that about the front end. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So um, another topic uh, which we need to talk about, I guess, is teaching. Um, I mean, writing articles is a form of teaching. I know it's also a form of self-learning, too. Like when I write something, I learn it really well. But um You've been doing a lot of uh, courses. You're on Egghead. Um, you have some other stuff that's coming up workshop-wise. Um, how does that, like, how does that jive for you? Like, what I mean by that is, um, it's a different sort of a discipline than front end. But I see a lot of front enders that embrace it wholeheartedly. Do you think there's an overlap there, and, and what make what draws you to it? Yeah, it's interesting to think about that. Um, 
<laughs> to draw that parallel. Um, and I, so for myself, like I mentioned, I kind of had an initial reason. It got me started writing. Um, and in my own experience, writing kind of led to some other opportunities is partially why I got into teaching. My actual initial goal <laughs> before I started writing was to put out a um, video course for web design or web development for beginners. And it's kind of embarrassing to look back on now, even though it was just a year ago. Um, but um, that was my initial starting point. And um, I think it's just, you know, just like writing or, or opening a new project, it's, you know, what did I learn? Maybe somebody finds else will find this useful. And then, you know, I've definitely evolved how I approach teaching and, and thinking of it that way. Um, it was also initially for the writing, just kind of, you know, a more formal way to share ideas. But it sort of evolved for me to to actually thinking of it in a teaching format and definitely still learning. But the egghead helped a lot. Um, they have their own kind of approach to that. So, of course, um, kind of. Moving into their way of, of, of thinking about things like, you know, when you teach a lesson on egghead, it's meant to be kind of the size of a commit. And that was a useful way to think about it. So, you know, really scoping in, honing down what the topic at hand was. And I've kind of carried that through some other materials or, or that thought of, you know, progressively building something out um, as well. But um, that's interesting, again, how you said the overlap there. And I'm – the ones that I see it do it um, – I think that there's a desire to share more about the ecosystem too. So it's partially teaching, it's partially sharing new ideas, um, but also kind of desire to kind of lift everybody up and 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 make them aware of what it, the web is capable today. So whereas I say, you know, very specifically modern CSS, there's obviously so much else going on and it's tricky to keep track of. So if you can teach well and you can teach to not just beginners, but all levels, um, I think that's really valuable and, and, you know, it's cool. It's cool to me to see a lot of more folks doing that and sharing their own voice and perspective. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah I, I think it's, I think it's a really important thing like for the, for the community. I mean, it's always, uh, Evan's, Evan's right. Like the, the community has always been there to support each other. Um, mm -hmm. but I actually think it's in the last few years, it's really become like a lot better. Like ever since we, uh, you know, I can tell from you describing like your first experiences in web development that, um, like it's similar to mine. And the first things I can really remember about the web community was basically just getting abused on Stack Overflow, um, uh, for asking any kind of question. Like now, when I look from like that point to where we are now with um, resources like your own and people like yourself, like actually um, taking a real interest in like what's going on like in these working groups um, so that you can actually share this. I think that the communities that moved on like so much that it's just a, like a fantastic thing to see. And just like, it, it really does help regenerate everybody and like, and lift everybody up. So, I mean, like congratulations for that. Do you think that, um, do you think that it's become um, like in the last like year or so it's become easier for you as you've like, dared to actually like put some material out there and really um i, I suppose I, i'm thinking along the lines of would you recommend that somebody who's actually thinking of doing something similar but doubts themselves like just takes the plunge and really like learns as they go along 
Yeah, I I really do. Um, I a huge part for me was getting over the fear of pushing publish. <laughs> um, uh, and I really mean that. And that was huge for me. Um, basically, why I didn't do any blogging consistently for most of my career is, you know, right about the time that I was starting to get serious about web design and development, um, you know, Ethan Marcotte published responsive design, right? And <laughs> overnight, it seemed like our worlds flipped. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's people with these literal world-changing ideas. What do I have to offer to the conversation? And it took me over a decade to realize that's silly. Um, just share it. You never know who's going to you know, pick up on that and find it useful. So um, I absolutely do encourage anybody to, you know, just start. And it might not be writing. It might be doing YouTube. It might be doing, you know, I think recently I'm enjoying Dev Talk uh, on TikTok. So it might be a 30 second, whatever. It might be silly. Um, but I think the other part for me is like the networking part and, and you know, growing who I'm I'm also learning from. Um, so I, you know, and I am kind of personally, I have different media that I publish too. So um, I haven't gone full in on YouTube, but I have a little bit out there. Um, I, you know, so it doesn't have to be this grand thing every time. Um, I also encourage folks to start on existing platforms like the dev community, um, just because you, um, you, you, you start to just kind of learn, like, what do you even like to put out there? And you get a little bit of feedback, um, especially on that platform. It's usually um, supportive, you know, or at least you get the emoji feedback. And that's still nice <laughs> when you're first starting. You know, is anybody seeing this at all? Um, rather than trying to maintain your own platform. It took me a while to move completely to um, my own platform, actually. Um, that was another thing that held me back initially is not wanting to super maintain um, – my own thing and worry about all the related things to that. And that's a whole other like side of it. If you do start to get more involved and, you know, we could talk forever about just that side of it too. But so there are some considerations and that's, but I say just, you know, get comfortable with pushing publish and then you can start to branch out and find other platforms, other mediums, um, being able to talk to other folks, you know, whether it's podcasts or something has also been, awesome to just even figure out what's available. So, you know, just for anybody, just kind of paying attention to what are people publishing on and, and things too, I think is valuable. Yeah, that, um, that is exactly where I want to go next, actually, is, <laughs> okay, so you've gotten to a certain level, what do you we use to, to take it to the next step? But I do want to backtrack and I absolutely agree with you. Um, publishing on Dev2, using someone else's platform to get going to see what makes you comfortable is a great sort of low intense in low intensity way to to get dip your feet in the water you know dip your toes in the water um and maybe the blogging is not the best for you but um the the point that i've always loved i'm sure i've said it on our show before we've done enough episodes now that i'm forgetting what i've said <laughs> but is you know that padding hack you talked about earlier scott that, mm -hmm. that was exciting back in the day, you know, like we didn't have the aspect ratio uh, thing yet, and that's fine. But but when someone was like, I was like, I've been dealing with this stuff. I just I, I just want this aspect ratio. They're like, oh, have you heard of the padding top pack? I was like, what? You know, I was a higher like in the hierarchy of things uh, than they were, but I hadn't heard about it at that stage. And so you don't know what you're sharing, who that'll have an impact on. And there's so much content out there. But that also means that the likelihood is that you will be publishing someone 
something that someone has published before, but that no one else has seen before. That makes sense. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. I think it's a great time to be doing that sort of stuff and it will help people immensely. I would say that um, the almost like the 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 worry about duplication is in the end not a worry because there's enough of us. We don't we wouldn't all read the same article. It sometimes feel like we have like uh, maybe a newsletter goes round and then suddenly at work people are all sharing like something that they've read on that. But um, and that would be a worry that I would have like oh somebody else has already covered this, but we don't all read the same sources. So even if it is covered in like 10 other places, you still reach, you could still reach an audience that may not have seen it. Um, maybe your style of writing is different to somebody else's preferences. Yeah. You know, it's that's certainly, I would see how it's easy to think that that's a barrier. But then if you do think that it's a barrier, then two friends who sit chatting at work about things that they're doing, don't start a podcast. So, um, so I think like take the plunge. (laughs) All right. So then you take, you've taken the plunge, you've gotten a degree of comfortableness with whatever you're using. Um, one of the things that, uh, you've, you've also published Stephanie is, um, uh, this thing on 11 D. Um, I know super little about 11 D I've like looked at it, Briefly, um, one of the articles I wrote on CSS Tricks back in the day was kind of doing my own, like taking a bunch of markdown files and turning them into a blog using Vue. Um, super outdated now because everyone else has done it better. But like that obviously is an approach of getting static sites and, and you know figuring out how you're going to publish, self-publish without having to pay for WordPress hosting. <laughs> Um, so can you talk a little bit about that and if that's what you use and what you liked about it and so on? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think I'm an unofficial ambassador for 11D at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so for those that don't know, 11D is one of many, um, but a static site generator and a few differentiating features for it are its speed, um, both in build time, um, and then also there's no, like versus something like Gatsby, um, which I do have experience with as well, there's no required client-side JavaScript bundle. So in other words, you are purely, purely static until you yourself add in, you know, some of those other things. So you're certainly not prevented from adding in JavaScript or whatever you need. Um, and about the speed part too, it's interesting, the community kind of recognizes that and really pushes it Um the creator, Zach Leatherman, he actually has a side project called Speedlify. So you, the community, if you submit your 11D site, you actually get ranked. I think I think he does it biweekly um, yes. based on your Lighthouse score. So anyway, um, so for myself, when I'm, you know, all of my projects that I have out there, you know, blogs, of course, but some other things too. Um, again, I have a background in WordPress. And what I like about 11D is that for me, the and especially versus something like Gatsby, I enjoy that it doesn't impose too many opinions. Um, some mm-hmm. people like more structure. I like the less structure. Um, it also, a huge differentiating feature is it allows 10 different templating languages. So you can do just HTML and CSS. That's fine. You don't have to pull in any other templating. Um, for me, I initially was gravitated towards it because I could write in Markdown and it, you know, it automatically did the transform. 
Um, no extra steps involved, just right out the gate, no extra. There's no such thing as, well, excuse me, there is such thing as plugins. They're not required. Um, so again, coming from WordPress, uh, not having that dependency, not having that, you know, fragility sometimes um, <laughs> or security loophole, you know, was huge. Um, so that's another important point is that, you know, 11D is considered part of Jamstack. So um, there's no database required. Of course, it's all static. So for myself, all of my projects all benefit from that. I tend to publish to Netlify. So I use serverless a little tiny, tiny bit, but not much. So you can kind of layer it in as your project grows in complexity, but otherwise you can just use it as a just static flat file server as well. Um, do, you, do you find that, you know, as you uh, have become more comfortable and familiar with it, that it kind of has gotten out of the way? I ask because I also got started professionally doing WordPress stuff. Uh, before that, it was just tinkering around, and that was like first time I got paid, and it always felt like a constant struggle to not just like build the site and do the templating and and all of that, but then to maintain it and keep the plugins updated and make sure the hosting was done and figure out the uploads and all that stuff. And then by the time all of that was running and sorted, I didn't have any energy left to actually do anything with the blog. <laughs> um, is this better? Is it gotten? Has it given you more freedom to create? Yeah, absolutely. Um, going back to earlier when I said, you know, it took me a long time. Well, part of it was exactly exactly what you just mentioned was like I knew how to do, you know, anything I wanted to with WordPress. Um, I, I <laughs> but <laughs> it's still an immense amount of overhead. 11D, I get up and running and a project out the door in a few hours, depending on how formed it is in my own mind um, and how much time I spend on design, that's usually where I spend more time than anything. So the initial get up and go, uh, less than 10 minutes to do your initial site setup. Um, and I truly mean that even if you are, uh, you know, just getting started with it, because there is no, you can start just directly from your site, road, create your index file and away you go. So very, very quick startup. And then, like I said, layer in what you need. So for me, uh, yeah, if you've heard me talk about it before, I call it my enabler. I think I have over 20 projects that use 11D at this point, including all my books. Nice. Nice. That's a lot of projects. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Some of those are course related, but most of them are published. (laughs) Cool. Cool. I actually used it. I used 11T um, with a small team that was working on a little project. Um, And yeah, we used it, got things up and running, as you said, like super fast. Um, it was super easy to, uh, to create the content. Um, yeah, I'd really recommend it. Like it was, um, yeah, just, I was amazed at how quick it was, to be honest. Um, yeah, like I couldn't speak highly enough of it. Like I've, I've had, I have limited experience with WordPress. I have used it, um, but not like you guys have. Um, and I have to say it's like a world away from, from that, in my opinion. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I really like the. The, I've I've liked for a long time the Jamstack paradigm, and I've used Netlify for a long time as well because it was it made it so much easier to get hosting. I know there's Zite and Now and a few other things that do a similar thing. Go for it, like whatever makes it easier for you. But I like the Jamstack like paradigm of like try not to do everything with JavaScript, right? Like pre-render some stuff. It it'll 
it'll be better. A lot of this stuff doesn't have to be dynamic content, or at least not in that way. If your rendering, uh, your pre-rendering, so to speak, is efficient and fast enough, then why do you need it to be using some, you know, in-depth framework? The one thing I worry about for myself with 11D um, is that I, I I do kind of like opinions. I've always I've had trouble with React in the past because it's not opinionated and when you're approaching something new, it's hard to know what you should use. When you can choose everything, it makes it, I, I have a real tough time <laughs> with blank pages. I'll, I'll say it that way. So I like, I gravitated towards Angular, um, which has loosened up over the years, but what is much more opinionated. Mm-hmm. That's that's not a question. That's just me, <laughs> me commenting on. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, and, and 11D, I'll just say one last thing, like, you know, versus WordPress or, or Gatsby or, you know, other more established static site generators, there currently is not a concept of themes. It's just not really, doesn't really jive with the ecosystem, but there is a concept of starters. So if you do want more opinions, there is quite a few starters at this point. So, you know, yes, they're they're probably going to give you a little bit of style, but that's not really the focus. The focus is more features. So if you want an RSS feed, if you want it to link to a specific CMS, um, if you do want it to come already with some CSS framework. So um, those exist if you are, you know, looking to have a little bit of opinion <laughs> provided for you to get started from. Nice. Um, okay. So one maybe, I don't know, final topic I kind of want to cycle back around to um, is when talking about, you know, um, getting back into, well, uh, let, let's reapproach this from an angle of uh, accessibility. So, I mean, how? what is your sort of take on how that's going lately in our industry? I mean, we haven't had a proper full-on show on accessibility yet. Both Scott and I have done a fair amount of work in that, but not as much as we know we should, <laughs> I would say. Um, I feel like it's getting better that the outreach work that uh, certain advocates have been doing has made an impact. Um, do you share that? And where do you think it's headed in the next few years? Yeah, I think I've seen, I would, I feel that I've seen a lot of improvement in terms of attempts being made for education. Um, that doesn't, of course, translate to actual implementation necessarily. But I, you know, we're getting a lot more high quality resources, even just in the last couple of weeks. Um, Sarah Sweden and also Marcy Sutton both announced um, accessibility courses, which are going to be fantastic. Um, And then there's, you know, I would say the quality of material has greatly improved. So I'd say there's less of a reason not to start learning about it. (laughs) Again, I know that doesn't mean it's being implemented. Um, I mean, it was one of my motivations. I include information as applicable in my own materials. And I that would be the one area I'm hoping to see more growth is that that gets included in more folks' materials. Um, and particularly, you know, when you create a demo, just being aware that folks are going to pick that up point blank and drop it into their product. And so if you're not including accessibility, you know, or trying to promote the education that's an area I would love to see more growth in and more improvement in. <laughs> um, I, I think that's, again, back to yeah. the point of, you know, when you're teaching and creating materials, trying to lift the community as a whole. And I think that's one way, um, an additional way 
to make some improvements. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's why you know teams like uh, at Microsoft or or some of those bigger organizations that they're maybe in a better position than others because they can you know do the sort of um, the tooling like the the Narwhal um, uh, build build uh, build time tools to sort of scan for certain things um, and iterate on that as well. Which a lot of us smaller teams, yeah, they might be able to get it into their pipeline, but to also mm-hmm. iterate on it and improve it as the landscape changes underfoot isn't always that easy. Um, yeah, it can make it so that people that are outreaching, like the dev advocates, always do have that good base mm-hmm. of accessible demos ready to go, which leads to then more people having it just sort of pre-baked when they extend upon it. Um, yeah. Again, it's this thing of we're in a good age. This is like a, a new golden age <laughs> of front-end yeah. development. Yeah, it definitely, uh, it definitely is. Like with the, I mean... When I first started my career pretty early on, I, because I worked like for government, accessibility was a big thing. But it was easy to, once I stepped outside of that, then like there wasn't much championing of it. Mm-hmm. Like, And it was, um, I think it was almost like the threat of, um, the threat of being uh, held accountable uh like in the public in, uh, in the public arena which was really uh, driving that but honestly i think that that's um real uh, i mean like government and government organizations get like a bad press with uh in terms of innovation but i have to say in the uk um gov.uk like yeah. did some like fantastic stuff with accessibility and they should like and like as a as a resource just that site um is a real great example mm-hmm. um so like a little bit of credit to the UK. Like they do get some, <laughs> we do get some things right, even though I'm not there anymore. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I think that um, in that instance, it was very much like the government leading like the, the private sector. Um, and it really has created like a lot more focus. Um, just recently, I changed my jobs and already I see it within the new company that there's, um, there is real focus on accessibility, um, which is something that definitely wasn't the case like, like seven, eight years ago. Cool. All right. So um, we're getting towards the end of the show. But um, first, we have our segment, True Hero. And in this segment, we like to highlight a few f- true front-end heroes that are working across the planet and to thank them for all that they do. So this time, our nominee is Nick Taylor. Uh, you might know him from Dev.2, but Stephanie, will you tell us a bit about him and why you nominate- nominated him? Yeah, so from being a writer on Dev2, my paths crossed with Nick about a year ago, but he's definitely one of those people that is a huge supporter and but doesn't get noticed. And <laughs> so I just wanted to draw a little attention his way because I think what he's doing, not just for Dev, but the community at large is um, really great. And we just need more folks like him that genuinely support every everything that's going on and, you know, regardless of, of what it is, just is happy that the web's moving forward. So, Absolutely. So again, Nick, thank you for all that you do. Lastly uh, here, any proper hero is a well-rounded one. So we like to share some simple musical or audio picks. Uh, so Scott, what's the favorite thing you've been listening to lately? Well, um, last week I was watching the new season of um, Handmaid's Tale. Um, and this, and, I think it was like the second episode. There was um, suddenly Suffragette City by uh, Bowie uh, started playing, 
And I was like sitting there, just like nodding along, which is not something I expected. To, which to to this program because man does uh, just <laughs> on getting worse and worse. Um, but uh, I was sitting there, and I just suddenly thought, "Wow, God, David Bowie was absolutely amazing." And I've kind of like hadn't listened to him for a while, so I so I went back and listened to A Lad Insane, um, okay. which is just like such a good album. Like I could have I could have internal debates with myself about like whether. <laughs> whether Ziggy Stardust or Aladdin Sane is like the best album of his or like, and just, and then go around like, and to try and decide who's like better than Bowie. But I would recommend everybody should go and listen to Aladdin Sane. Okay. Uh, Stephanie, what about you? So um, again, I'm a mom and have two young girls. And so um, I couldn't help but get drawn into the soundtrack for Greatest Showman. And in particular, so I've started listening to that as my background track too. Um, but, uh, and I'm not really a sappy person. Um, this is a little out of character for me, but this, the, the song Million Dreams, you know, Million Dreams for the World We're Gonna Make, I can't help but like be inspired by that. Um, you know, we're all kind of emerging in a way or hoping to uh, within the very near future. And I don't know, that one just seems like the right song for the time right now. Perfect. Yeah, I'm I'm a big believer in that these things come into your field of awareness when you need them. And yeah, it's a good one to have on, on cue. <laughs> um, for me, I also went a little bit back into the, you know, scrolling through Spotify's new UI. I'm not going to say anything about that, but um, going through the older records that I had saved up there and um, came around to Mumford and Sons, uh, their de- debut album, Sigh No More. I mean... It was good at the time. It has aged so well. It's like 10 years old now, something like that. It is still so good. Um, good stories, good crunchy vocal singing and harmonies. And, you know, ah, it's just good. I don't know. It There's some music that um, just lasts. And I think this for me is one of them. So putting that out there again. <laughs> Great. So, um Looks like all that's at, that is all the time we have for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you should like, heart, or star us in your podcatcher of choice. Reviews and ratings are how those fancy algorithms help people find our content. The power to help is within you. If you have any questions or topics you want covered in our next episode, send a tweet to us at Heroes Front End. We'll add it to our list. Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the program. Um, until next time, heroes, remember, with great front end power comes great responsibility. See you next time.